0: Uh, Like Chad said, before we get into the sermon today, we have a little uh, church update. I'd like to invite Zach and Megan Schellebarger up. Could you guys just make some noise for them? This is uh, Zach and Megan. Uh, they've been leading for the last couple of years, our young adults, small group. And you might recognize Zach because he preaches um, from time to time, and he's been a part of our preaching team. And they came to Reality Ventura two years ago. And when they did, we recognized, man, they're, they're a gift. We saw the hand of God on them. And quite frankly, I just assumed that they'd be with us for like years and years to come um, and selfishly really wanted that. But God had different plans for them. And uh, he's called them to Santa Barbara, where Zach's going to be going on staff as a, uh, as a pastor at a church there. And so this is their last Sunday with us. Um, and though it's, it's super sad for us, it's sad for me personally, we see the hand of God in it and um, praise God for doing it. And also just bless your guys' faithfulness and obedience to step out and do something that's unexpected and like you guys weren't planning on, and you didn't necessarily see coming, but you see the hand of God. in. And so today we wanted to bring them up to let you guys know, um, and also to just say thank you to you guys. Thank you for your faithfulness. Zach, you've been a, a personal blessing to me and to our preaching team and to this church. You guys are going to be greatly missed. Um, Calvary Santa Barbara is going to be so greatly blessed to have you. And church, we just wanted to pray for them, um, lay hands on them, and uh, kind of send them out today and and bless them right amen cool so maybe you can just if you want to do that weird thing we do where you just stick out your hand and point it toward the stage lord thank you thank you for this couple thank you for bringing them together as one for your purpose and your glory thank you lord for the time that we have had with them as a part of our body and thank you lord that uh the, the church, capital C, was never intended to really have like walls on it, although we all gather in different buildings. And this, what we see here, is a kingdom thing. This is a kingdom thing. And so, Lord, we're thankful for the time that we had with them. Uh, we're thankful for the gift that they have been to us as a body. Um, thankful for, for Zach and the way that you've used him to, to, to preach from time to time from this pulpit and the value that he's been in our preaching meetings and a part of our preaching team. We are thankful for them. And, Lord, we are expectant of this new season and what you're going to be doing in their lives. Thank you for their example of obedience. Also, we ask that uh, some of us would follow that in places that you're calling us to do things that are unexpected and not necessarily what we are looking for, um, that you give us grace as you have given them to obey when you call We ask that you go before them. You'd be a rear guard behind them. And you'd bring great fruit out of this next season. And they would know your nearness more than ever. Bless them as they move on to this next season. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. So give them some love if you see them. Uh, all right, we are continuing our series through the book of Ephesians. Go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 1. We're in the middle of a series on the kingdom, and the first part of this series is called Kingdom Kids, as we look at our identity as Christians, but from the lens and from the perspective that we are actually children first, and that's the truest thing about our identity and everything else, then second. If you've missed the last couple of weeks of sermons, I would encourage you to get online, either on the website or wherever you listen to podcasts, and catch up on those, because each one is building on the last one. I'm going to be reading and preaching from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible, uh, which we are using for this whole series. And the title of this sermon is, What's His is Mine. To get a little context, let's start in verse 1, but we'll be looking at specifically verse 3 today. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's our our verse for today. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us into your family, for snatching us out of the slave market of sin and bringing us into your house. Thank you for the rich truth that's found in these, whatever this is, 10 or 11 words right here. There's so much for us to like feast on in this. So we ask that you would make our spiritual taste buds desirous of what is is here. We ask that you would even now tear down every wall that would prevent us from receiving and walking in the fullness and the reality of what we see here. We ask that you would do what only you can do in our hearts today, in our minds, in our lives, in our perspectives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we looked at this briefly last week, but Paul begins this verse with this call to bestow a blessing upon the Father when he says, "'Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ.'" Uh, in, in Greek, in the original language that this was written in, these first 14 verses of Ephesians are actually one long run-on sentence. It's this like beautiful almost poem thing where Paul, almost, it's almost like you almost get a sense that he can't stop himself. There's no punctuation. There's no pauses. He's just like, brrr, he is overflowing with goodness and praise toward the Father for what he has accomplished through his Son. And that is why he calls for a blessing upon him, When he starts in verse 3 and says, Blessed is the God and Father. He is calling for the church in Ephesus and everyone who would read this after to recognize the blessedness of the Father. And the idea behind this word is that God would be praised with worshiping adoration. And how could we not praise him with worshiping adoration? When we see that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, how could we not turn our hearts affection toward the Father in praise? And notice that it is there with the Father that all of this begins, and that's where we will begin today. And I'm sure this won't be the last time that we say it in this series, but it all starts with Father. This is where the blessing begins. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right before this in verse 2, it was, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says that from him and through him and to him are all things. That means that he is the source and the beginning of all things. And so it's not just blessed is God here. It is blessed be God the Father. And from all the way in the beginning In Genesis, in the garden, we see with Adam this concept of father, that God is our father. It is written into the fabric of our being as humans and into the very foundation of our faith as Christians. This is how Jesus primarily related to God, father. And this is how he taught his followers to relate to God. God is father. And then it is from his father's heart that everything else about him comes out toward his children. But still... We spoke a little bit last week. Many of us still have such little understanding of what it means that God is Father. Maybe we call him Father, and we think about the Father in the Trinity. But what does that mean? How does this Father of ours in heaven act? How does he think toward us? What does he say about us? How does he feel toward us? What kind of Father is he? For many of us, he's a Father who actually kind of acts and operates more like a king, Or maybe maybe like a commander or even a lord or a master. And of course, God is all of those things. But here's my question. What if he is a loving heavenly father first? What if he is a king who actually acts more like a loving father than an earthly king and is motivated by his love as a father first? What if he is a commander who actually leads more like a loving heavenly father than an earthly commander Well, I would suggest that he is. And we know this because of love. 1 John 4 says that God is love. He is the very essence of love. And love is not characteristic of earthly kings. And love is not characteristic of earthly commanders. But love is characteristic of fathers, at least good ones. And we must understand God as Father if we're going to understand who he is, why he does, what he does, and if we are going to understand the, ble- the nature of this blessing that Paul is speaking of here in Ephesians 1-3. And fathers have children, right? Only, only fathers have children and, and mothers, but if you're a father, it means you have children. And so if we must understand God as Father, then we must understand also ourselves as children, as kingdom kids. But let's face it, for most of us, it, it would probably be a lot easier if we would just understand ourselves as something else in relationship to God. I mean, we might say with our mouths, I'm a child of God, but how do we actually, and I want us to ask ourselves this this morning, how do we actually relate to God? How does our relationship with Him actually function day in and day out? Most of us function like we're actually something other than beloved, accepted child first. And that's how we think about God. That's how we think about ourselves in relationship to God, and that's how we function. For me, the temptation is ambassador. I am an ambassador of Christ first, and which is true. I represent God. Or, or I'm a bondservant. I am serving God, which are both true. But from what place do I represent God? From what motivation do I and foundation, do I serve God? Because I can live days, I can live m- months, I, I have even lived years forgetting who I really am, where I function primarily in my relationship with God from a place of ambassador or of servant first instead of being a king, a kid, rather, I'm sorry, a kid in the king's house, a kid in my dad's house. And let's, let's be real. The ambassador-king relationship or the servant-commander relationship is a little easier sometimes for us to get our heads around. It seems a little, a little cleaner. It's maybe a little less messy. It certainly requires less of like stuff like vulnerability, right? You don't have to have any vulnerability when you're just like this kind of boss-employee-almost relationship. Uh, it doesn't require an emotional commitment. It requires less humility. It requires less surrender than that of the child-father relationship. And in our minds, I can make it pretty simple. All right, if I do the job well, then God is stoked with me. But family, family is messy. If I see myself just as doing a job, and I can kind of compartmentalize my life and disconnect from this master if and when I need to. But kids, kids can't disconnect. Kids are always Kids, But the truth is, when we were born again, we were not born into a corporation as workers, into a government as ambassadors, or into an army as soldiers. We were born into a family as children. But how many of us have entirely missed this, or at least functionally have never lived from this place? But here's my question, church. What would happen... If Christians began to see God as he really is, as loving, gentle, safe, pleased, father first, and from his father's heart, everything else flowing. And what would happen if Christians began to see ourselves as we really are, as beloved, accepted, innocent children first, and as a result of that, everything else flowing. If the church would begin to see God as loving father and ourselves as beloved children, I'll tell you what would happen then lives that were once defined and ruled by shame, defeat, fear, and heaviness would begin to be defined and ruled by love, freedom, security, and boldness. That's what would happen. So let me say it like this. If your view of the Father and his thoughts towards you and his actions towards you change according to how you act— then your view of father is skewed because our father views us through the lens of his perfectly righteous son, his perfectly blameless son who never changes, which means that when God thinks about you and acts toward you, he does it always with love in his eyes and grace in his hands every time. And even when you're acting like an idiot, he has compassion on you like the most loving Best compassionate father has on a little child. And I believe that not understanding this is so often the source of crippling shame. If you're living in shame today, maybe this is the source. And crippling defeat, and insecurity, and heaviness, and fear. But those things, hear me, are not characteristics of Of beloved, accepted, freed, delighted in children. Those are characteristics of slaves. But you, my friends, are not slaves, you are children. And we got to get this because a couple of chapters from now, Paul is going to begin getting into the nitty gritty of how we ought to live as Christians and what we ought to do as Christians and how we ought to act as Christians. And he wants to make sure that his readers get this foundation first, that we understand who God is and who we are first so that we have the right glasses on, so to speak, when we start looking at all the do's and don'ts in the second half of this book. But man, this is like a this is a paradigm thing. This is a paradigm shifting thing, and that's a doozy, right? That's a that's a hard thing, which means that we need the Spirit of God to unveil our eyes to see the reality of these things. This isn't just something that you learn, or if I, if we teach it good enough, then we'll then we'll get it. This is something that has to be revealed to us. And so you can join me. I'll just tell you right now that our prayer and my prayer for myself and for us is this: Holy Spirit. Give me a revelation of the Father's heart. It has to be revealed to us. And so I'm praying for us, church. Holy Spirit, give us a revelation of the Father's heart. So it all starts with Father. Blessed is the God and Father. And why call for this blessing upon the Father? Why call for the church to praise him with worshiping adoration? Because, as it goes on, he has blessed us. It is a response to who he is. This this praise, this worshiping adoration is a response to who he is and what he has done. And as all worship ought to be. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. To bless, it means to be favored with. It means to be gifted with. That means that we didn't earn it. We didn't pay for it. It's not because of us. It is a blessing. It is a gift. He has blessed us with it. It's it's a gift from the Father. And to whom is the gift given? Just look in your Bibles real quick. He has blessed who? Us. He has blessed us. I like that Paul doesn't say he has blessed me. He's making a very specific distinction here. He says he has blessed us. Paul is using familial language here. This isn't a me thing. This is a us thing. This is a family thing. And not just family that necessarily looks like you or acts like you or thinks like you. This is like family with kind of quirky people who may not think or look or act or see the world anything like you. Just look around the room real quick. Everybody look, it's okay. It's not weird. Just look around the room real quick. Okay, say to the person next to you, I'm a little weird. Okay, look. At, that's real. He says he has blessed us. Where else, when else would this group of people ever gather together on purpose? Right? Never. This is the family of God, only in the family of God. And Paul here is writing to a primarily Gentile church in Ephesus, but he himself is Jewish. Jews and Gentiles didn't mix, culturally speaking. And so Paul saying us is this miraculous work of the gospel. He means Jews and Gentiles when he says us in the church at Ephesus and beyond. And it was important for Paul to point out that these blessings were for both Jews and Gentile believers because first century Jews would have already had a strong sense of being blessed. They would have already had a strong sense of being called and predestined by God. But Paul showed that these things are now given to Christians, whether they be Jew or Gentile. So the blessing is for us And what has he blessed us with? With every spiritual blessing. How many spiritual blessings, church? Every spiritual blessing. Everything we need for spiritual adoption, spiritual growth, and spiritual work has been given to us. Now, this doesn't say that we have been blessed with every physical blessing or every emotional blessing, or every monetary blessing. The child of God is not promised every or any worldly or temporal blessing, but we are promised every spiritual blessing, which honestly is far better than a temporal worldly blessing. Like Charles Spurgeon says, "'Our thanks are due to God for all temporal blessings. They're more than we deserve.'" But our thanks ought to go to God in thunders and hallelujahs for spiritual blessings. A new heart is better than a new coat. To feed on Christ is better than to have the best earthly food. To be an heir of God is better than being the heir of the greatest nobleman. To have God for our portion is blessed, infinitely more blessed than to own broad acres of land. God hath blessed us with spiritual blessings. These are the rarest the richest, the most enduring of all blessings. They are priceless in value. And this is not just the kind of blessing that is given to us once and then done. This is the kind of blessing that is given over and over and over and over and over and over again. And it is everything that we need. That means that it's the strength that we need. That it is the grace for other people that we need. That means that it's the patience and the love and the compassion and the gentleness and the kindness for others. It's mercy for those who don't deserve it, it's grace for those who could have never earned it. It's power from God for us in our lives, it is authority from God for us in our lives. It is victory from God. It is wisdom from God. It is self-control. It's spiritual gifts like gifts of prophecy and gifts of wisdom and gifts of discernment. It's every spiritual gift. It's every spiritual blessing. It's gifts of administration. It's, It's gifts of hospitality. It's words of knowledge and words of wisdom. It's discernment for you and understanding for to know how to do relationships. Right. It's everything you need to walk faithfully in your singleness, single people. It's everything that you need to walk faithfully being married, married people. It's everything that you need to walk in barrenness, those of you who want to be mothers and cannot have kids. It's faithfulness for you to do parenting. It's the blessing that comes from living in the Father's house and having access to all that he is and all that is of him. It is the blessing of having a new identity as a child of God, which means that I don't have to try to prove myself anymore, which means that it's all right if you don't like me. I hope you do, but it's all right if you don't, because you know what? My Father likes me a lot. That means I don't have to prove that I belong somewhere. I don't have to prove that even I belong at this pulpit because I know that I belong in the father's house where he approves of me as a son. And so I'm free to not have people approve of me, for instance, as a preacher, because I'm approved as a son in the father's house. What I need to know more than anything is what my father says about me and what my father thinks about me. Friend, all you need to know and the most important thing you need to know is what your father says about you. To have all the spiritual blessings of heaven means that your place in the family as a child of God is secure, that you don't have to earn it and that it cannot be taken away from you. Every spiritual blessing means that every spiritual provision of heaven for what you need is already given to you. You have access to everything that you need. And yes, I said everything that you need. Do you have something? Do you not have something? Rather, yet, then I'm going to be so bold as to say that you don't need it. Some of you have been waiting for a long time for something that you are positive that you need. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because your father would have given it to you if you needed it. Guaranteed. He's, he's He's a father. He's not a big brother. Big brothers tease their siblings and keep stuff from them. God is not like that. God is a heavenly father who gives us everything that we need when we need it. Our son Kingston is five. And, dude, like four and five is like my favorite age ever. I wish I could just like time capsule this age right there. Because they're old enough to like act like normal people, right? But they're not old enough to like not have speech impediments yet. And so like they, try, they use big sentences, but— they have speech impediments, and they're asking a million questions, and they're just the best. But this is something that I don't love about our five-year-old Kingston. Kingston pulls this move every couple of days when we're putting him to bed. We'll put him in his bed, and he'll just, with all the passion in his heart, say, Dad, I'm starving. <laughs> and then he'll, like, he'll expound on it. Like and He's been saying this lately, you don't understand— How starving I am. (laughs) Now, I know that when you get overexhausted, the hormones ghrelin and leptin, which are the hormones that dictate you feeling satiated or hungry, are out of balance when you're extremely tired. I know as his father, he doesn't actually need food. I know he just ate two hours ago, right? He's not starving, And he doesn't need food. What my son needs is sleep. That looks a lot different than food, though. Some of y'all, you see a need in your life as essential as food, and it feels like it. But God is your father, and he knows what you really need. And he has already given you everything that you actually need. Every spiritual blessing is yours. And when it says that he has... He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. It means that he has already done it. It is already ours. This is what we have received. This is what has been given to us when we are brought into the family of God. And there is a certainty and an assurance here. So that means that we don't have to sit around groaning or crying or fretting or worrying or questioning where we stand with God or who we are in God or who he is. It is certain. It is done. It is secure. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And where are these blessings housed? In the heavens. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. These blessings are from heaven, which means that they are not from earth, which means that they are a different kind of blessing than the world gives or gives value to. They are from heaven, which means that they are not temporal, which means that they are eternal, which means that they can never fade away, grow old, lose their glory, be bought, bargained for, stolen, or taken away. And they are from heaven, which means that they are from God's realm. Jesus taught us to pray, Father, let your kingdom come as it is in heaven. The heavens are God's realm, where God dwells, God's house, so to speak. And that's where the blessings are found. In the house, Of our Heavenly Father. We're living in a kingdom for sure. We are citizens in a kingdom for sure. But in this kingdom, the King is a father and the citizens are children. And in this kingdom, everything flows from the Father heart of God. And we are children who have access to everything in our Father's house. But if He is a loving Heavenly Father, then I wanna wanna frame this phrase in the heavens from that perspective of him being a father, as these blessings coming from the father's place, the father's space, so to speak. And when we do that, all of a sudden, God our father has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, starts to take on a new form. It moves from this disconnected, almost cold, aloof creator, relating to his creation, saying, I've given you these spiritual blessings, like this disconnected, like, ah, it's so ambiguous. How do I get my head around that? It's so big, And it moves from there to a heavenly father speaking to his beloved children. This is not a master saying to his servants, I'm giving you everything that you need so that you can serve me properly. And this is not a commander equipping his soldiers with everything they need to go to war. This is a father offering all that he is, all that is of him, and all that is in his house to his children. And he is saying, everything that I have is yours. Everything that is in my house, everything that I am, is yours. I want to further illustrate this by looking at another father's house in Luke 15. Can you turn your Bibles over to Luke 15? So 10 years ago when I was preaching, if you asked somebody to turn in their Bibles, you heard this like, and that's how you knew everybody was turning. But now I think there's just a lot of people going like this. So I'm going to need you to say, when you get to Luke 15, if you got it, say, got it. All right, good. Luke 15, if you got it, say, got it. I'm going to read this from the New Living Translation, actually, just because uh, it reads real easy. A familiar story we might know, story of the prodigal son, starting in verse 11 of Luke 15. Luke 15, starting in verse 11. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die, his inheritance. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted his, all his money in wild living. Some translations say prodigal living. Verse 14, about this time his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. So I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead, this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned to home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. "Your brother is back," he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return." The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing that you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. At the end, the father says to this older son who's mad about this party being thrown for his, party being thrown for his brother, father says, everything that I have is yours. And it jumps out from me from Scripture. It's plain as day, and We see it in Ephesians. Every blessing of heaven is yours. We see it here. Everything that I have, the Father says, is yours. But listen, only children function like this is actually true. Only children function like this is actually true. Let me give you an example. I mean, look at my kids. In this next week, the greatest need that my kids have, just like, let me boil it all the way down, is water. That's the greatest need. They could go all week without food and go all week without uh, Xbox and go all week without friends. Their greatest need is water. And you know what my kids do when they need water in my house? They go and get it. They go and get it. They don't have to ask. It's, it's my water. I pay the bill. I even pay for the reverse osmosis thing, right? They just get what they need. Why? Because they are children in my house. They are my children in my house. Now, when you come over to my house and you're thirsty, what are you going to do? You're going to ask me for some water, unless I have grafted you into our family, which I've done with some of you. But you're going to come over to my house and you're going to ask me for water. And some of you might take a little bit to do it. You might be a little bit timid, like you might feel a little bad about it. It's just water. But you might be like, I don't know, is it cool? Like, you might get a little nervous. Some of you don't like talking out loud or whatever. Uh, And you might not even ask at all, depending on how long you're there, right? It's just water. By the way, you can have as much water at my house as you want when you come over. But why? Because it's not your house. You're not my child. And so you're a little timid. But here's the deal. You are a child of God. You are A child in his house. And all that is in his house is yours. Everything that I have is yours, the father said. And you got it when you need it. And yet, so many of us live and function like one of the brothers in this story, either one. Or maybe we go back and forth, demoting ourselves to something other than child in our father's house first. And it's for one of two reasons we see here in this prodigal son story it's for shame or pride. It's for shame or pride, and both end up bearing very similar fruit in the life of the Christian. See, my kids only partake of what is mine as long as they know that they are my children. But as soon as they insist on demoting themselves to some other role in my family and in my house, then they immediately prevent themselves from partaking of what is actually already theirs as children. Let me try to explain it this way. On one hand, we see in this story shame. And shame says, You have performed so poorly that you are undeserving of the blessings of the Father and a place in his house. You have performed so poorly that you are undeserving of the blessings of the father and a place in his house. And this was the younger brother in this story, right? We saw it in verses 18 and 19. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned both against heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. Because of his poor performance, he was demoting himself from a son to a servant. Shame says you don't deserve to be treated like a child. You don't deserve to be like, treated like a son. You don't deserve to be treated like a daughter in the father's house. On the other hand, pride says your good performance will earn you the blessings of the father and a place in his house. Your good performance will earn you the blessings of the father and a place in his house. And this was the older brother in this story, right? We saw it in verse 29. All these years, I have slaved for you and never once referred, refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Because of his good performance, he expected the favor, blessing, and approval of his father. Pride says, okay, I've performed well enough to be treated like a son or a daughter. Both, though, pride and shame, actually come from the exact same place. A misunderstanding of who we are and who God is as Father. See, the older brother saw the father as a master who rewarded children according to how well or poorly, or rather rewarded his servants, for how poorly or how well they had performed. But the younger brother saw the same thing. He also saw the father as a master who would reward him according to how well or poorly he performed. In both cases, they misunderstood who their father was and in turn who they were. Because when you misunderstand who the father is, then you miss who you are. Listen, the father is not a slave master ready to deal out punishment to those who perform well. And or or don't perform well, and blessing to those who do perform well. The father is a father with grace in hand, ready to deal out blessings to his children. And not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, but because we are children. And children get to partake of all the blessings of their father and their father's house. See and feel the intensity of the father heart of God in this story. Did you hear the older brother's heart? Dad, I've been working my butt off. I even made myself like one of your slaves. I've done everything you asked me to do. I've done everything you asked of me. And what does the father say? You hear God's heart in his son. I didn't ask you to do that. I didn't ask you to make yourself a servant, a slave in my house. You're my son. And then he says, everything that I have is already yours. You don't have to work for any of it. It's already yours. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. And some of you need to hear that today from God. Child, you have demoted yourself from a child to a servant. But I've made you more than that, God says. I've made you for more than that. I've saved you for more than that. I didn't, I didn't ask you to do that. I didn't adopt you to work in my house. I adopted you to be with me. That was the whole end game, God says, in sending Jesus. Was to reconcile you back into relationship with me. That was my whole point. Messed up as you may be. Messed up as you may be. God said, I wanted you. I wanted you. That's why I sent Jesus. And friends, do not misunderstand or degrade the cross and the work of Christ to being this insufficient or incomplete thing by functionally living as if you need to add something by your good works to what Christ has already done in order to receive the blessings of heaven. Jesus worked hard on the cross so that you could rest in his finished work. But I don't deserve it, you say. I don't, I don't, I don't deserve it, though. No, you don't. And no, I don't. We did nothing to deserve to be children of God. In fact, we did everything to deserve to not be children of God. The Bible says that we are full of iniquity apart from Christ, enemies of God and deserving of death and judgment. However, God sent his son to bear our iniquity and take upon himself the penalty that we deserved. He bore our sins and carried our grief And when he did, 2 Corinthians 5 says that Christ became our sin on our behalf, that in turn we might become the righteousness of God in him. When you put your faith in Jesus and are born again, you become the righteousness of God. No, you don't deserve it. And neither do I. And no, you couldn't earn it. And neither could I. It is a gift of grace. Remember, we saw this last week that Paul started this thing by grace and peace to you from God our Father. Grace, he starts with, because grace precedes everything in the kingdom of God. Grace, that is undeserved favor. It is getting what you don't deserve. Every spiritual blessing is not a reward for a servant. It is a gift for a child. Some today are still believing a lie that says, I don't deserve the blessings of my father's house because I have not done well enough to have them. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. And sure, you deserve the full wrath of God poured out out in full effect upon you. Fine, okay. Then hear God, the righteous judge in his courtroom of heaven, saying over you, guilty. But hear the son stand up and say, I'm going to pay though. Father, I'm going to pay. Father, I'm going to give my life instead. Gentlemen, don't demote yourself from being a son to a servant. Or from a son to a soldier. Ladies, don't downgrade yourself from being a daughter to a slave. You are not a hireling in your father's house. You are his beloved, chosen, on-purpose kid. And yeah, you may screw up, but you are still a child of God. And not because you have performed well, but because Christ performed well, you have been given access to every spiritual blessing in your father's house as one of his children. And the reason that the phrase in Christ or through Christ is used 12 times in these first 14 verses of Ephesians 1 is because that is where it is all found. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. It is all found in Christ. What's crazy to me is that Jesus is the only actual Son in this whole situation here. He is the only begotten of God. If anyone is going to have access to everything that is the Father's, it should be Jesus and Jesus alone. It should be Jesus and Jesus alone. But it doesn't say here, blessed is the God and Father of Jesus, who has blessed Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It says, blessed is the God and Father of Jesus, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Us. We are the recipients of every spiritual blessing. Why? because we are in Christ we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens because it happen but it only happens rather in Christ we have been given what is not rightfully ours because everything that Christ is has been imputed to us we are in Christ and in Christ we get all that he is and all that is his That means that the power and the victory and the authority and the righteousness and the blamelessness and the the Father's approval and acceptance and the place in the Father's house, all of it, all of the blessings that are innately Christ's because he is the only begotten son of God are now ours in him because we have been brought in to Christ from orphans as adopted into adopted children in Christ. Christ has brought us now into all of his privilege, authority, access, and position so that we can partake of every single thing that is actually rightfully his and only his. Oh, what great love! The Father has poured out on us that we would be called children of God. We are not born as children. It is a gift of love. What great love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Because of love, we have been united with Christ, the only begotten Son, adopted as kingdom kids, who now get all the blessing of the house of their father. What's his is yours. What's his is now mine. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that you went to great lengths to make this possible. And thank you that you, like that father in, the, in that story that we just read, that you ran to us. You ran to us when you saw us far off. You ran to us and you picked us up and you kissed our necks and you put a ring on our finger and a robe on us and sandals on our feet. You said, These are my kids. They were orphans. Now I brought them home. You brought us into your family. Thank you, God, that it is there now in your house that we find every single thing that we need. Yet, Lord, I know there's some here who can't function that way because they don't yet see themselves as children, fully as, as beloved children, and you as fully as loving, accepting no strings attached, Father. And so I'm asking, Holy Spirit, that you would give us a revelation of the Father's heart. If you want to know God deeper as Father and understand yourself more and more as child first. Maybe just face your palms up as if you were receiving something and just agree with this prayer. Holy Spirit, give me a revelation of the Father's heart. I just want to say one thing here. Um, People like to refer to themselves and all humans as children of God. But apart from Christ and the love of God being poured out on you, you're not a child of God. You were created by God and you are an image bearer of God. And God may think about you more than the sand on the seashore, and God may know you better than you know yourself, and God may really, really care and love you a lot, but you don't get to be in the family of God as a child until you are adopted. You become a child through adoption, and adoption only comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But it is a gift, and like any gift, it must be received. First John 1 John 1.12 says that to all who received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. If you're not a child yet, and you, you were visiting today, or maybe you've been going to church for a long time, or a friend brought you, I just want to say that... Um, God is not yet your father, and you are not yet his child, but you can be. Jesus did everything needed to pay for your adoption. It was expensive, but he wanted you, so he did it. On the right and the left, there's going to be some people from the prayer team here, and if today you've recognized, man, I, I, am, a, I am far off from God. I am guilty in my sin I want to believe in Jesus and receive him and be given a place in the Father's house. Then they would love to help you talk to God about that. They're also there to help anybody else who just needs prayer today in any way. There's communion elements up front for us to remember this finished work that Christ did. He purchased what we talked about today, guys. Christ purchased it with his life. And the carpets are here for you to take a posture of worship. Paul started off this verse by saying, by calling for a blessing upon the Father in response to who he is and what he's done. So right now in this second set, guys, let's respond to that call for a blessing upon the Father. And let's praise him with worshiping adoration for who he is and what he's done.